This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Wardpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, September 19th, 2020. 2020, otherwise known as the Demon Year. Dornall, how was your week? <laughs> <laughs> My week was pretty good. Uh, let's Let's start with... What's sort of been occupying my reasons that cannot be disclosed for... almost as if they are not going to be disclosed, not going to be disclosed. Uh, I have been actually I've done a deep dive into a new game that I am playtesting. Uh, it is for a friend. It has been enjoyable. And there's another guy in the playtest who's very, uh, very excited and passionate about it. So he got talking on the Discord channel and sucked me right back into it. Um, I am happy to report that the playtest games have been enjoyable. I think there's something there. Uh, if, if anybody in the chat might know about what this what this is about, uh, it's it's been fun. I hope you feel the same. I will say this, though. When developing a new game, when you look at the business side of it, it the reality of attempting to turn it into a, a business or a product, as opposed to just a hobby, it really makes you think hard about the game mechanics. You don't just you don't just say, oh, I like these mechanics because they're fun. I like this type of game because it's fun. And then you go, oh, but the printing costs of of one way are something like four times the printing costs of another way. And you go, hmm, <laughs> how important is it to have the game play one way versus the other? And uh, and that's the sort of thing that we're talking about with the. Uh, with the developers what's really nice is is that uh, i have mostly been the type of tester who i i want to bring to the attention of the developers what's working and what's not working i don't want to be that person who comes up and says this is how i would do it right that's not really helpful right let let, let the game designers be game yeah. designers right just let the game designers be game designers, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, yeah, I'll occasionally say, hey, this might work better, but for the most part. But the designers have been open to suggestions and, and discussions on what the game might need or what we might add to the to the game or something like that. So uh, I, sw I shifted my focus this week to more suggestions and for lack of a better word, vomited a bunch of ideas. I, I'm sorry to be vague. I hope this isn't boring anybody. It's a lot of fun. But I guess my message to people who are in that sort of situation, whether it's QA or reporting a tech support problem or feedback on a game or project or something like that, um, if you have an idea of, hey, it wouldn't such and such work better that way, phrase it as, okay, this happened and I don't like it because, or I tried to do A and B happened, right? Uh, 
like a uh, tech support like oh you know i i clicked on my google and i don't get my msn right and you're like oh okay i can i can start working with that problem or you know i i uh I, I moved my piece over here and I thought it worked this way, but it worked a different way. That's counterintuitive, right? So if you formulate it as a problem, when you do that in real life with just random people, you're whining, right? Like if, if you went up to somebody said, man, this, you know, this, this bus system really stinks. Well, usually the response is do something about it, right? Or if you're at work, the response is don't tell me what the problem is. Tell me how you're going to fix it, right? But when your job is, to provide feedback as as a as a tester or something like that, they don't want solutions. You're not the freaking game designer. Just here's <laughs> here's what's wrong. Here's what I think is wrong about it. This is how I felt, or this is how it happened. Um, which goes beyond things like technical problems, like oh yeah, this uh, this action is overpowered, or this ability is broken. This this uh, this card doesn't work the way. The designer seems to think it should work, right? Like we need to fix the wording or something like that. Know what I mean? I yeah. hope that makes sense. I hope I didn't bore you to tears, but that's where my head's been at this this week. Yeah, those are good playtester skills. I mean, playtesting is a skill. There are things you have to do as a playtester to provide good feedback to game designers. Yes, and uh, and I I. I brought up the tech support because that's where I picked up those skills. The a call center is a terrible work environment. It's high pressure. The management typically treats you like chattel because let's be honest, they get a lot of employees that are useless podheads who, you know, just get on the phone and want to make a little bit of money and without doing any work irresponsible people. So it's not a pleasant work environment, at least the ones that I've seen. But having to do tech support over the phone where you can't do screen sharing or anything like that, that'll teach you those skills, right? Or at least give you an appreciation for the ability for someone to present the problem in a way that lets you help them. Like I said, you know, don't don't tell me this vague stuff. Tell me like what you did and and why what you expected to happen didn't happen, or, or tell me what what actually happened. Anyway, that those were some valuable testing skills. Those are some valuable life skills. So I recommend everybody run out right now and get a job at a call center doing tech support. That that was facetious, but. I think we I think we put Daddy Warpig to sleep. No, I'm just thinking about because I thought you were going to go a different direction with that. Um, Tell me what you think. Well, you were talking about you know when when you were looking at making a game. What I thought you were going to go in the direction is in is how expensive it was going to be to produce. Um. And we've been playing Classic Traveler, and Classic Traveler was made back in the day where you could get away with producing an entire role-playing game in black and white with, you know, hand-drawn uh, pictures by the author in small, uh, loose, uh, you know, 
books are basically almost made at home on on <laughs> on mimeograph machines <laughs> or <laughs> uh, whatever, uh, and then sold in stores. You know, very very uh, inexpensive books. And even though, like, say, the birth of AD and D or uh, the box sets kind of ramped up production values. Um, they still were com nothing compared to what, say, third edition D&D did, which basically turned them into coffee table books. Um, and you have to have a huge investment, a huge capital investment in art and uh, production design and things like that uh, in order to even just begin to compete with the other games in the space because otherwise you're going to look so bad that people won't even buy your game because it looks low quality and they will assume it is low quality. And that's unfair in a lot of ways, but um, it's the it's expectation they have. It's the expectation that a lot of the customers have when it comes to those types of products these days. And the game I'm testing is, is not a role-playing game. So, it multiply the art costs, right? Everything's got, and and the fact that you need to hire a proper graphic designer to make sure that your components and your uh, your your rules and your cards and your pieces and all these things have, you know, a a good consistent look and feel, and also meet meet genre conventions and. Uh, convey all the information that you need them to, right? Yeah. Uh, tons, tons of work, tons of upfront capital. Um, I, I think, I think the, I don't know if the game designers have spent a lot of time looking into that part of the business yet, but uh, it's, it's sort of starting to hit us all in, in the channel talking about it. Just how much work still needs to be done, and how much money it's going to take. But. And, and I'm still talking role-playing games. Even so, this is the golden age of self-publishing as far as role-playing games go. And so, however that's worked out, people are publishing more role-playing games at any time in the hobby's history. Um, so whatever barriers there are to publishing, uh, the, the graphic design barriers don't seem to have stopped people because it seems to be a, you know, a rush of people publishing their own role-playing games. So, so to undercut my own point there. Yeah. Well, and maybe, it's just, maybe we, it's pro companies that are getting bit on that. It's possible. Uh, and, but you know what we've talked to, we've had uh, a game designer who did RPGs a couple times on the show, Douglas Cole. Uh, he, yes. And he actually, he loves talking in the business. He's actually gone over the numbers with us. Uh, art's a massive percentage of, of the fixed costs. And uh, and he barely turns a profit on those things. But yeah, if if you've got a few thousand dollars in startup capital, you can get enough art for a adventure module or, uh, you know, a setting book. It, it can be done. But yeah, that's... A short rule supplement. Exactly, right? Like, But we're talking... Not everybody 
who is a game designer can just put together a few thousand dollars. You have to go to something like uh, Indiegogo or Kickstarter. And, and then and then you're in that situation of having to actually uh, drum up the interest and get actual potential customers and investors. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, same thing happened in the board game industry. Uh, Cheap-ass games aren't really popular anymore. People want those expensive, colorful components with stylized art and and really eye-popping table presence where you see that laid out you see the game laid out uh, at the at the convention on a table and you go ooh, i want to play that that sort of thing that's what people want out of their uh, tabletop games these days because they're more collectibles than they are you know things to be played it's true it's true the the it's a story as old as the hobby of there's people, hundreds of people, thousands of people around the world who have game rooms or a game shelf, and they've got something like a hundred games. I mean, how many do they do they play a week? Probably they've got two or three in rotation that is popular with them and their families or their friends this month, and that's all they play for maybe, maybe once a week, three times a week, whatever. And so they've got something like eighty games that see play twice a year, if at all, or uh, someone who grabs, uh, you know, a new great game that's got great reviews, beautiful components and everything like that. It's in shrink wrap three months later. They're collectibles. I'm the opposite, actually. Not only am I a cheapskate, but I've got half a dozen games that I really enjoy. And if I want to play other games, I count on the people who really enjoy those games to have a copy and want to play with me. Uh, I I don't feel the need to collect all the sets. Though, I do have a confession to make. Mm -hmm. I do have an unopened copy of Gloomhaven just to have it. Well, because Gloomhaven, you scar up as you're playing. Uh Uh-huh. And it's, it's, it's a one of a kind. It's fantastic. Uh, I, uh, that'll sit. It'll sit on my shelf, and who knows? Maybe in the future, I'll have a new set of friends, or or I'll I'll be around a bunch of family or something, and say, "Hey guys, let me show you this new game." But uh, I still think a superhero game based around the Gloomhaven mo- model would be cool. Oh, that would be great. That'd be great. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's uh, they're they're collectibles. Well, as in collectible card game. Which is uh, which is another genre which is massive, massively expensive in terms of art. But that's the point, right? Magic. Well, that's what made Magic so great. Like you play the game and it's a good game. It's a fun game. But the the evocative names and the artwork and the colors and all the cards. Uh, that really is what the collectible aspect of it is. What really made it stand out. Yeah, uh, Bradford Walker, thanks for listening in live. I, I understand you. Some people really get turned off by the idea that you have a board game that you damage. Um, counterexample. Counterexample, the two most popular games that are like that are Pandemic Legacy by far and Gloomhaven. Pandemic Legacy 
think of it as a series, like a, like a TV series. You just play through it once and that's okay. If you like Pandemic, you can go back and play regular Pandemic. I've never played the Legacy version. It's extremely popular, so it does what it needs to do. The other one, of course, is Gloomhaven. For less than $200 investment, you can get months or years of entertainment out of that product. Even though you're destroying it, you never have to play through it again. It's fantastic. Uh, I, I, It's the only way I would wreck a board game. In fact, they sell removable stickers that you can use to put on the boards and cards so that if you wanted to replay from the beginning, you can remove those stickers without tearing everything up. Guess what? Nobody cares. Uh, we, we played for months putting stickers on the board and everything like that. And we're like, oh yeah, this is good that we can remove these. You know, if you, if you ever wanted to start again, and uh, a few months later, my buddy and I are like, yeah, uh, no, I'm good. Let's wreck the board, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't care. Um, but yes, you ha- you have to get over that initial, uh, what's the word? That The initial hesitance that, yeah, it's it's like a book. It's you don't want to destroy it, but uh, but you're not destroying it. You're uh, consuming it, and it's it's a uh, it's like a movie that you don't have to watch again. Anyway, well, yeah, like over the edge or on the edge, uh, the card game, the collectible card game, it, it was based on a, a role playing game that had the other name. I can't remember it, but you know. How you have to keep all your collectible card game cards pristine and in your card protectors because you might want to sell them someday. Well, with this game, um, you were encouraged to sign every single card in your deck with your signature. And then when you played for Ante, the other person got the card if they won. And then they would sign it with their signature and so now they had in their deck a card with two signatures on it the person who really who originally owned it and the per and their signature and so you'd see people who'd have a card in their deck with like six signatures on it oh that's cool uh you know quote unquote destroying the card but it was encouraged and that became like the community thing to where you know people who didn't sign their cards were kind of frowned upon because they weren't in the spirit of the game. Well, that, that reminds me of a, a story about how I learned to play vampire or a jihad as the original edition was called. Uh, Cause of course we were all familiar with magic, the gathering and my, my friend grabs his deck of cards. They're not sleeved. It's fine. And, and he says, okay, guys, now you guys are used to magic where you really take care of your cards. He cuts the deck, does a standard riffle, shuffles them up, and, and looks at us and says, these cards are just for playing, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a real healthy attitude. Although people look at me weird when I start riffling magic cards. <laughs> I, I haven't played a physical game of magic in years, though. Um, uh, anyway, that's what's been on my mind this week. 
I, game design is for me is a fascinating subject and I've come to realize that there's a lot of things you can do in game design as a game designer that you can explain up to a certain point. And there's th some things that if you explain as a game designer, they stop working. Once players and DMs realize what you're doing, they stop working. So you just don't explain them. Oh, I, I'm not familiar with that. What's a good example? I can't talk about it because then they won't work. Oh, son of a! Publish my game. <laughs> son of a! I, I, have you ever, ever been on the other side of it? Have you ever experienced that when a game designer ruins something for you? No. Because I don't think I. Well, I tell you what. Last time I ran D and D, I, I did an old school experiment. You remember that lasted for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And be part of partly because we were learning the system, and partly because I was getting back in the DMing groove. I would over-explain a little bit, sort of peel back the curtain, and say, "Hey guys, I'm doing this because of this." And I, I I'd stop every few minutes. Hey, uh, just let me know, or at the end of the session, let me know if I'm over-explaining. If if that's taking away from your experience, let me know. Uh, and and they actually said, "No, no, actually, that's that was that was really helpful." So. Uh, I haven't experienced that yet. I you don't have to you don't have to tell them everything, but uh, with uh, with the right set of players, I think you can peel back the curtain a little bit and not lose them. There are just mechanics that have certain mechanics have a psychological effect on players, whether they notice it or not. And then and, and they good. And if you explain it, it's like explaining a joke. If you explain uh -huh. a joke, you kill the joke. It's not funny anymore. It doesn't matter how funny it would have been. If you explain a joke before, during, or after, it kills the joke. So there are some mechanics you just can't explain because it'll kill the effect it has on the players. It's the same thing with horror. If you explain why something is scary, you kind of kill why it's scary. Mm. I've been on the receiving end of that. Uh, the inverse, actually, uh, as a counterpoint, uh, because I, I believe you. Uh, I've played in a game where the game master did that. It was a supposed to be a tense scene and a horror scene. Uh, me and another player for some reason, weren't on the same wavelength. Like, for some reason, we didn't get what the Dungeon Master was trying to do. And so instead of being in tune with that scene and feeling the tension, we just got annoyed and angry. And uh, and I had to come back and later and say, hey, if if we get lost like that, because you know, we're having fun, we enjoy the game, we like moments like that, but if we get lost and we get out of sync, you do have to tell us. Like, you have to break that. You have to break the fourth wall or break kayfabe or whatever you want to say. Like, let us know, hey, this is why this is happening. Uh, because if you continue to try to make it tense or something like that, you might cause, uh, you know, you might uh, enhance the frustration.
Um, anyway. There were a couple of business things I wanted to get out of the way at the top of the show, but... Too late. Uh, we are now mid-show. We can do it at the middle of the show, right? Hey, anytime's a good time. What's on your mind? Uh, I did want to say... Um, Condolences to Terry Goodkind and his family and loved ones. He passed away this week. He's a fantasy author, wrote The Sword of Truth and a bunch of other fantasy, big, big, thick fantasy books. Holy crap. Uh, and I read The Sword of Truth and I didn't read any of these other ones. Uh, but condolences to his family and loved ones, condolences to the family and loved ones of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and to anyone else who passed away this week that we have, that are that I have missed. Um, also, um, this next James Bond movie, which keeps on getting put, pushed back because of 2020, um, is the last James Bond movie for Daniel Craig, and reportedly, this has not been confirmed as far as I know, but reportedly, Tom Hardy is going to be the next James Bond. Tom Hardy. That's an interesting choice. <clears throat> yes. Well, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm going to sit back and see what he does. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> They've wrecked James Bond almost totally anyway, so what the hell? Uh, I I can say I am actually not a James Bond fan. Uh, the only movie I've ever seen is Skyfall. And I got arm twisted to watch that. So I I don't really get the film or the genre or the character even. Was that me? Did I twist your arm to see that? I don't recall. Okay. I mean, I might have. It's possible. Well, it's like everybody I say I've never seen a James Bond movie to, <clears throat> they get the same face when someone tells you, actually, I've never seen Star Wars. Or uh, yeah. in, in, in my case, I've also never seen Rocky. And people go, wait, what? It's the best sports movie ever. Why haven't you seen Rocky? I don't know, guys. Sorry. Just it never came up. Anyway, so as I understand it, they changed – James Bond, the James Bond style in the Daniel Craig movies to ape the popular Jason Bourne style uh, heavy action films. Is that right? Well, Austin Powers made fun of so much James Bond stuff. Uh, they thought they had to get rid of all of that and make something new. Oh, so they wow. moved. So they moved it towards gritty and realistic. Oh, I, I had the impression it was it was more an influence of I'm sure they were both influences. And and then they started doing well, you know, the modern thing. Yep. And uh, and doing weird things with the character and the storyline and well, anyway. But yeah, so that's what you mean by wrecked. Well, that's a shame. I hope I hope it wasn't too hard on pe fans of the series or the fans of the characters. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of the Daniel Craig movies were really good, 
uh, I thought Skyfall was excellent. Uh, Casino Royale was great. Um, Quantum of Solace can burn in an eternal flame, despite the fact that it has Olga Kurilenko in it. And you have to work hard to make me loathe the movie with Olga Kurilenko in it. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, well, as far as Tom Hardy goes, what can I say? He's uh, he's British. He's a, an excellent actor. He's kind of he typically plays the big and bulky type of hero, which is is not. I don't think he has the same style as previous James Bonds. But yeah. uh, we'll see. I'm just like, well, whatever. <laughs> I've I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed everything I've seen him in, even uh, even Bane with that ridiculous voice. I have reached a point of like shell shock with popular culture, right? So many things are burning down so fast that I've just reached a point where I don't care anymore. <laughs> it's so which which is appropriate given our uh, given our graphic at the beginning of the show. <laughs> so, so many things have burned down so fast. You know, Star Wars has burned, Star Trek has burned, and I'm sure people can start throwing out things in the chat of their own personal, you know, franchises and and characters and stuff that that have been burned to the ground. Um, X Men was going great, but then between X Men Apocalypse and uh, other things, you know, it's been burning to the ground. X the Marvel Universe. The Marvel comic book universe has burned to the ground. Comic book industry, the entire industry has burned to the ground. Um, yeah, it's just uh, over and over and over again. They're burning everything to the ground. And it's just like after a while, you stop being able to be outraged anymore. You're like, screw it. Let it all burn. I don't care anymore. I've got stuff to do. I got my own stuff to do. Uh, Once the fires have passed and all that's left is smoldering embers, I'll come out and build my own stuff. But as for right now, I'm not even going to get exercised about it anymore. Just, I'm done. Yes, you've you've already accepted the fact that a lot of this stuff that you talked about ultimately is not built to last. And what we thought was a culture or pop culture is not much of a culture at all. Is it not anymore? Not anymore. I mean, it's gone. It has been, uh, it has been destroyed. Uh, I mean, That's okay, this is fine. It's fine. It's all fine. And and even Hollywood itself is like the I'm talking about the businesses themselves. The corporations are really, really struggling right now. They're really getting 
you know, 2020 and the specifically the COVID uh, really kicked them in the teeth. Good. Uh, they're losing, like individual corporations are losing billions of dollars. That's just. It's amazing. That's the kind of money that the federal government doesn't even notice. But a corporation, it's like, if you have a billion dollars in red ink on a balance sheet, that's. Yeah, that's going to cause some, cause some problems. Oh, man. So, yeah. And what happens in the aftermath of a forest fire is it just leaves it open for regrowth. For smaller, new uh, plants that wouldn't have had a chance before to grow in the place of all the things that have burned down. Absolutely. Speaking of Hollywood in particular, I mean, it's my opinion that that can't they can't go away fast enough, but there are plenty of filmmaking communities around the country and the world. Uh, Atlanta's a big hotspot for doing television mostly, television and movies. Vancouver's always going to be there. So I, I hope that there's more room in the future for, for lack of a better word, for more diversity in our video entertainment. Uh, I'm going to be sad if the movie theater finally dies. Uh, that uh, It has been a great American pastime and tradition, uh, something that I, uh, I used to enjoy a great deal. I used to really like going to the theaters as a sort of a community experience, friends and family, that sort of thing. Um, you know, that's starting to go away. Uh, and and uh, they're all going to go out of business or get scooped up by the producers. Uh, if, if this uh, crazy lockdown continues anyway. So, yeah, I, I hope that, that those other places and those smaller businesses, I mean, there's no shortage of young aspiring artists and filmmakers uh, it's it's a it's a popular vocation it's a popular even as a hobby uh, look at everything that's on youtube people are learning how to produce uh, essentially television shows you know web shows uh, at the very least uh, in entertaining content and as far as just a person sitting in, at a desk in front of a camera so yeah, the thing is that those people are there. The question is, what are they creating? Have Have you encountered anything new that's really exciting to you yet? Any new growth that you're hoping springs up? Um, I'm kind of tunnel visioned myself. I don't have as much time as I'd like to spend checking out things that are uh, made by people, made by other people. Um, I have kind of, I just don't have time to do a lot of things. That's why I didn't have any, you know, that's why this is that why this isn't like review of a new movie or review of a TV show. 
So, no. <laughs> there are a lot of things I'd like to read and a lot of things I'd like to watch, but I don't have time right now. Yeah, I understand. I, I can uh, I can shill for our occasional guests. I think, I mean, you know that I don't really care for comic books, but there are people like John De La Rose who he keeps putting out books. You know, he, he gets an idea, he writes it up. As soon as the art comes in, he puts it together, does a, a Kickstarter. Um, that's the type of thing that we need more of. Lots of uh, lots of people producing original stuff that resonates with some people, and you don't have to have a big audience these days. You know, with the internet and and crowdfunding, uh, you just have to hit your niche and and please your readers. Yeah, Bryce, John's a machine. Wow. Um, uh, other people are are in other in other areas. There's of course the Pulp Rev guys trying to trying to bring the uh, 20s back or the 30s back in their own style. Um, Brian Niemeyer apparently has found a niche as a military science fiction guy. I, uh, those, uh, he's got a lot of readers in, uh, in his Combat Frame Exceed series. And they didn't come from anime fans. They're, they're military science fiction fans. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, independent film, of course. Independent film will always be there, and I don't mean uh, pretentious trash that gets promoted at Cannes on and Netflix. I mean, uh, I've got a cousin who actually lives and works in Atlanta, and he's uh, he's part of the film industry there, and he'll write and shoot his own little movies just for fun. Just hey, I have this idea. Here's here's what I want to do. He went and, and filmed a, 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 a short gag, really, for a film festival, for the for the Bone Bat Film Festival. Just go, right? We've got all these little film festivals and, and things like that. And, and yeah, as far as movies go, uh, Emmett's got an interesting idea. I believe cinemas are going to transition to smaller boutique-type theaters, showing smaller movies and older classics. Yeah, that's a great idea. I I can't be the only one who who has this has this dream. If I ran a cinema, it wouldn't just be back to back. What's you know latest hits? It wouldn't be blockbuster video. It wouldn't be AMC. It would be stuff me and my friends like to watch. Like we're gonna we're gonna have a, a crime movie night, or we'll have a. A, a kung fu movie night, like we'll play classics, that sort of thing. We all know that you're not going to make any money that way. <laughs> you're just going to lose a bunch of money. But that would be nice. That would be nice. Get away from the massive scale national businesses trying to uh, trying to put out bland oatmeal of a product that uh, satisfies your basic hunger for distraction while also not upsetting the Chinese Communist Party, uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I would love to see that. I would love to see more local or specialized shops 
uh, one of my one of my fondest memories going to the movies, at least in the in this century, is not long before I left Utah. Uh, our a mutual friend of ours called me up and said, "Hey, this is a weird idea, but they're showing Pulp Fiction down at you know downtown at this at the Independent Theater at like nine thirty. You want to go? It was awesome." I mean, I've seen the movie half a dozen times, but just hanging out, there's a bunch of other people in the theater. We all knew the lines. We were laughing at the jokes and cheering and whatnot. It was great. It was fantastic. We need more of that. We need more of those kind of, of films and those kind of experiences. Not that Pulp Fiction is a great example of a cultural touchstone. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's not for everybody and not wholesome at all. But I think you get my point. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, drive-in theaters. I complained about this last week. I, I went to see Tenet. Uh, there are no drive-in theaters around here. I, if Washington State ever had them, they disappeared long ago. That's a shame. I mean, that makes sense. They're not going to be very, very usable six months out of the year. But come on. Uh, that's a great opportunity to to get outside and enjoy some fresh air. Um, the park down in Redmond will do theater or movies in the summer. I, I think it was canceled this year for obvious reasons, but yeah, they'll, they'll show family friendly movies, comedies, um, Pixar stuff. Yeah. Right out there at the park, everybody come out and see it. Art house right. theaters. That's the, that's the phrase I was thinking of. Thanks Raymond. Drive-in movies are awesome. Our drive-in theaters are awesome. I love drive-in theaters. They're just so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I I always thought the the radio thing or the or the speaker that they used to get the sound. I thought it was kind of awkward and weird that everybody was in their cars. But you know, at the end of the night, like you you basically, hey, we I drove out with the family or a bunch of friends, and we had a picnic lunch outside while the movie was playing up on two movies. Usually they do back to back. That's great. Hollywood doesn't understand that. You want to know why movies are so popular in Los Angeles? Summer blockbuster movies. Why would you ever go to a movie theater in summer? Oh, because it's 98 degrees and you get three hours of air conditioning and cold drinks and popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) It's an escape from the sun. Uh, Whereas to me, movie theater is a perfect rainy day activity. Yeah, you get out of the rain or get out of the snow. Just get out of the weather and enjoy something. I mean, that's what that's what movies used to be, right? Just the chance to get into the theater, kick back, and let it all go, and just enjoy something for a bit. Uh, you know, now the movies are more miserable than whatever the hell it was you were trying to escape from. It's like. Nah, man, I'll give it a miss. Give me two more hours of 98-degree weather. It's better than this crap. I don't know. I mean, isn't that what... I mean, let's put it, put it this way. Don't storytellers have an obligation to make listening to their stories better 
or at least less worse than having to the whatever else is going on in someone's life. I mean, that's just a bunch of crap. Producing these miserable garbage movies, comedies that aren't funny, action movies that are boring, uh, you know, romance movies that aren't romantic. It's just real life isn't supposed to be better than the movies. That's why people went to movies in the Great Depression or World War II, is to have something glamorous, to have something great, to have something stirring or just amazing on the screen that they could watch and go, that's so cool. That's amazing. You know, watch an Errol Flynn movie. Uh, to watch a comedy with Shirley Temple or whoever. To watch a Wizard of Oz. I mean, the Wizard of Oz, when it first came out, that was absolutely mind-blowing. To start in black and white like all the other movies were, and then all of a sudden just, you know, however long into the movie it was, bam, to be that full technicolor glory, just, you know, blew people's minds right against the back wall. How the hell... Yeah, how the hell did storytellers lose the idea that they were supposed to make people's lives better? That's a hard concept to grasp. You're supposed to make people's lives better. So they could come out of the heat or the cold or the rain or whatever and just sit in the dark theater, chewing on a snack, and watch something great. There is something appalling and wrong about watching something great. Is greatness no longer something to aspire for? Do we not want to make people happy? I mean, is this no longer about the audience? What the hell happened? We're not even trying anymore. I just... I have an idea. I want to see greatness again. I want to see... I want to see people at least try. Someone who tries for greatness and doesn't quite hit it is far, far better than someone who just makes a bunch of mediocre crap and doesn't even care. Like uh, Mulan, right? All the money in the world to make a movie, and they're not even trying to make something great. They're just making another miserable, preachy, political wreck of a show. I could have watched Mulan. Could have watched Mulan and come on and and reviewed it. Absolutely could have watched Mulan, and I didn't want to because I knew it was just going to be another miserable 
modern slog. It's like, oh, look, hey, let's take a, a, a genuinely awesome genre. I mean, Chinese wushu movies are awesome. They are so kick-ass. People flying all over the place and fighting. Um, martial arts is so beautiful and so kick-ass, and you can do so many things with it, and it is amazing. And I am in awe of the skills of the people who they have fighting, of the cinematography they do. I haven't been able to watch a lot recently, but in the last four or five years, I've watched several of them, and they are just absolutely incredible. And they took this genre that can do just fabulous things, and they made it into another miserable BS Western whiny feminist tract, okay? I don't need that. I get that all the time. There's nothing that I need. Give me something from that. There's nothing I need for a movie like that. Give me a Chinese movie. If you're not going to make a remake of the original Mulan, if you're not going to have a talking dragon that makes jokes, that makes something interesting, that makes me laugh, then give me a Wushu movie. Give me a movie with mysticism. Give me a movie with people working hard to learn how to fight. Working hard to gain recognition. Give me a movie where the beauty of the mastery of the blade, where the flow of the strikes, where the costume just flows through the air and the petals of the flowers, like it's almost like a dance, but it's deadly. Where they jump from rooftop to rooftop. Give me a movie that is worth doing it different. Because they ruined that too. It's not just the story. It's not just the preaching. They ruined the martial arts too. They didn't even do that right. They ruined everything. So why the hell would I watch that and come on the show and review that? And yeah, we, we've been meandering a little bit, bringing up just this little subject and that little subject today. And, and I apologize if that wasn't the most compelling show, but uh, or the most compelling show we've ever done. But still, I'm not going to watch that Mulan show and come and review it because it's crap. There's nothing virtuous or noble about it. I feel like I've dropped a point in here somewhere, and I probably have. Again, apologies for that. But hey, hey, man! Uh, the crowd in chat it does not care for your points. They just want the rant. They want the energy to flow. <laughs> but you have 
got to make something awesome. And they could have made something awesome. They could have made it great. And I love Wushu. They could have made a great Wushu movie, and they didn't. They just made something mediocre because they're not even trying for greatness. Uh, and it's frustrating, and it makes me mad. And the, all this money is flowing to people who aren't even trying to make good movies. I don't even know what the hell they're trying to do. I don't think they know what the hell they're trying to do. I think they've been pulled out of obscurity way too early. I think they've been given money way too early. And I don't think, I think it's ruining them. I think these are people who've been promoted way, way, way too early. And they haven't learned how to fight yet. They haven't learned how to do what they're supposed to do. And most importantly, they're not focused on making something great. They're focused on making something that's preachy and they haven't learned how to be good storytellers yet. They haven't had a chance for their skills to mature. And so they're just kind of vaguely uh, waving their hands at the wall and hoping something comes out because they've been sitting around in, in, uh, bull sessions telling each other how everything would be great in the movie theater if only they would do it this way politically and now they're in the seat way before they should be and now they're trying to do that and it's not working because it wasn't ever true they should have had a chance to get more seasoned they should have had a chance to work harder they should have had a chance to come up under someone like roger corman or or whoever who could have beat some sense into him and showed them this is how you make a movie that works. This is how you make a movie that sells. And then they could have come out and maybe done something, even with their foolish politics. I don't know. It, uh, I have a piece of the puzzle if you, if you uh, are please. interested. I, I, have, I really need to just rewind this whole thing and listen to it again so I can figure out where I lost my point. But <laughs> Part of the puzzle is and i'm not sh entirely sure how this happened but they started being something that we consume these shows and films think of the marvel cinematic universe it's the most egregious example some of those movies are legitimately fun and enjoyable but at the same time we recognized forgettable popcorn flick you know cheesy computer animated effects fun quips fun character moments i had fun at the movies right but they just kept churning them out why because people will consume them it stopped being uh, an experience and it even stopped being an event after a while it used to be oh yeah i'm looking forward to that you know i, I want to see them wrap up the avengers story i want to know how that civil war turns out right no it just became, well, what's the next one? Ant-Man 2? Cool. I'll see Ant-Man 2. It's it's the Marvel movie that is made this year. Let's watch it. Same thing with TV shows. It's just something you consume. Uh, well, well, let's drop a whole season at once on a streaming service so you can binge it. Just 
eat it as fast as you can. You can go to the store and get more. That's part of the, that's a big piece of the puzzle. They don't have to make anything great. They have to make it sufficiently entertaining or distracting anyway, so that people who are used to consuming the product will consume more product. That's, that's my interpretation. As to how it got that way, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Your guess is as good as mine. But there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. But never fear. There are lots of people doing good work out there. It's just, just going to be a while before this weird, out-of-scale pop culture behemoth is fully dismantled or burned down. It may never be. But, but Disney's doing its best. <laughs> well, that was a fun rant. I enjoyed it. I was just about to ask you. Uh, uh, that was a great rant. Uh, what, else, uh, what else is on your mind, DW? I was going to ask, are there any questions from the chat that we, uh, we should answer? They have no questions, but they're definitely, uh, they're following along. They're, let's see. Yeah, talking about Die Hard, action heroes, fun stuff. Uh, we've lost the pulp mindset. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's part of it. Uh, pulps were kind of a, pulps were kind of a consumption model, though. It was just like, yeah, cheesy fun adventure stories on cheap paper just to make a quick buck. Well, see, um, that's where I think you're wrong. Tell me more. Um, I mean, that's that's logically impossible for me to be wrong. It's <laughs> physically impossible. But uh, give it your best shot. It isn't that you make something quick. For people to enjoy, uh, that isn't meant to be collected and put up on a shelf and be kept forever. That's not a problem. That's nothing to worry about. That's not bad. I think all the people who say that's intrinsically bad are missing the point. The point is the storyteller and what's inside. If you're a person who has, who's a person of character, who's a person of substance, who has some wisdom, then the story you write will be a story about people of character, will be a story about people of substance, will be a story about, it will have some wisdom to the story. I mean, if you sat Robert, you know, Robert E. Howard, Edgar Rice Burroughs, down and they were marvel screenwriters today they could churn out marvel movies just as fast as marvel is doing and their stories would be deeper rougher more vivid um more substantive 
than a lot of the things that show up in the Marvel movies or anything else. If you as a person, if you as a writer, are a person of substance, then as long as you're not artificially getting in your own way for whatever reason, your stories are going to be substantive stories. Um, and if you're a writer or a silly, foolish person, then you're going to write a silly, foolish story. Uh, now, there's, there's one exception to that. If you're a substantive writer and you set out to write a silly, foolish story, you can. A person of substance can deliberately write a silly, foolish story, but a person who is silly and foolish cannot deliberately write a substantive story. They don't have it in them. Um, so I think it's bad when a person unknowingly and uncritically only watches silly and foolish media but just because someone writes let's say a lot of books in a year like john de la rose doesn't mean that the stuff they produce is worthless or they're doing something wrong that they're just producing to consume and that their fans are just consumers I think that's a mistake to make. Have I stunned you? Uh, the mute button swallowed all of my responses. <clears throat> oh, no. So, so I'll sum up and say, fair. Uh, it's true that the business model was sort of, you know, cheap paper, ephemeral we're, we're not writing classics or not trying to write classics we're not trying to but they were trying to entertain write good stories make something good in other words quality was important it, it, it was consumption but it was uh it was at least something that the audience really wanted and uh, yes a, a good author with with good instincts and ability they'll, i mean they'll produce good stories yes uh, and they ended uh, up producing classics anyway. Anyway, uh, or uh, yeah, at least classic characters. The uh, whereas the people who who have adapted the classic Marvel comic book characters to movies, they don't have it. Whatever it is, uh, they made some entertaining movies, and that's it. Uh, for some reason, we're not going to have those fifty years from now. The same way that everybody knows who Conan is, who Tarzan is. Although Spider-Man's probably going to be around for 100 years. Not those films. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. I think it's a good uh, stopping point for the show. Indeed. Uh, Chat can carry on with their conversation about Pulps. Uh, it was... Uh, tons of fun. Uh, it was great talking with you guys and hanging out with my inimitable co-host, Eddie Warpig. Uh, it's been a great, but I'm done for the week. Oh, this is when I say something? It sure is. Dad, it. I know, I know, I, I let you rant for so long today, but I promise 
after this one last thing, <laughs> you're done. To go. Okay. Uh, I want to thanks everybody. Thank everybody for tuning in live, participating in the live chat. Always illuminating, always interesting. And I want to thank everybody who's going to tune in later uh, and listen to the show. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I've got to turn my mouth on. Here, actually, I should. Holy crap, everything went wrong at the same time. I'm going to sip some water to see if that will reboot my brain. Everybody, synchronized sipping. <laughs> my lips shut down. My fingers shut down. I'm just I'm, I'm pausing here to make sure everything else isn't going wrong. <laughs> what the hell was that? Okay, we're fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. Just another callback to the graphic at the beginning of the show. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. We are here every week about this time. You can catch us on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That's YouTube.com slash GeekGab. Or you can catch us on SoundCloud.com. Uh, you can also subscribe on the Apple iTunes Store or on the Google Play Store to listen to us on the device of your choice or on the web. We are signing out for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.